Welcome to the Being Known Podcast Live. This is so, so exciting and fun for us. It's so fun to see your faces and just can't wait to get started tonight. And I want to first introduce you to our producer and my good friend, Amy Chella. If you, if you are somebody who watches the, uh, watches the podcast on YouTube, then Amy is certainly no stranger to you. She brings a lot of, uh, elevates the class of the podcast quite a bit when we have her on. It's a little lofty. Uh, I don't, <laughs> look at what you're dealing with. So it's, you know, the class is elevated pretty easily. But uh, yeah, so, so anything you want to share, Amy? I am just thrilled and amazed that we are here and that you are here. And I am excited about the evening. So thank you for being here. Yeah, thanks so much for being here. So without further ado, I want to introduce you to my friend, Dr. Kurt Thompson. Thanks, Amy. Wow, they're here. They're here. It's so weird because, well, save it for the podcast, I guess. Okay, we will. We'll do that. Yeah. Yeah. Just making sure that we're recording. We're all good. Yeah. So we don't have to worry about you not pushing the right buttons or anything tonight, which is always good. Dude, you're going to start it just like this. You just just be like, okay, just. Welcome to the Being Known Podcast, live with my friend, Dr. Kurt Thompson. And with my friend, Pepper Sweeney. We are here to the discover and explore. most beautiful man in the world. <laughs> Dude, you knew it was going to happen. We are here to discover and explore what it means to be truly known. What it means to be truly known as... The most beautiful man oh in the world. So, okay, I think we should start by explaining that, just a li- giving that little context. Okay. So, years ago, when Kurt and I first met, we were doing a, a retreats together. About every quarter, we were meeting for a long weekend, actually, like five days. And I, I started kind of teasing Kurt that he looks like Mr. Bean. And so... So we would go to lunch and come back, and I would say, you know, we had a film crew following Kurt around today, and we caught him swimming. And I put put up a video of Mr. Bean, you know, having a hard time swimming. So Kurt, in his retaliation, starts calling me the most beautiful man in the world. Now, I was thinking, I don't understand how he considers this retaliation until I realized that The whole thing is he knows that when I walk in the room, the look of disappointment that I get. (laughs) So I've I've now, you know, figured that he's actually just an evil genius about the whole thing. That's just that's just like that's just such a lie. The whole thing. Yeah. 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 We wanted to uh, talk a little bit on the show sort of about how things started, how doing the podcast together has impacted us individually and together. And I think, I think that's a, a great way to spend the evening tonight. So I don't know if you want to start us off. In the very beginning, I guess I'll, I'll yeah, start us off. Yeah. So in the very beginning, I was invited to a very small, intimate gathering. I think there were probably six people in the room. Kurt's book had just come out. And it was sort of a salon. And Kurt was going to you know, talk about his book. And we spent the evening together. We ate. We drank. We had a, you know, a lovely time. He has no recollection Some of drank more than uh, he has, and Amy was there. He has no recollection of meeting either of us that night, which I could understand they if there were 30 they people they in the room. There. there were like five people. 
right? Yeah, and, and yeah, so, and, so and, one you, day and, saying, and you weren't one of them. So right. So one day he starts telling us this story about this night that he had at Nicole Johnson's house, who who was the one that brought us all together, and he's telling us, and Amy, you're like, Kurt, we were there. <laughs> it was like us. We had it was like us and three other people. It was us. He swears that it wasn't. It wasn't us. So yeah, yeah. So later, like several months later, when we first met. It was around the gathering of Seasons Weekend, this yep. uh, weekend retreat that Nicole was planning. And we began to provide that retreat about once a quarter, once a couple times a year. And it was not long after that that Amy started to have a conversation about the possibility of a podcast. And this was now eight years ago, maybe. Yeah. And soon she was including you in that conversation about this notion that, you know, Kurt, you and Pepper could have a conversation that would be a podcast. And I kept putting you off and putting you off, and I don't have, which isn't that hard to do. And just, that was funny, come on. <laughs> yeah, okay, I'll, I'm warming up. Go ahead. Um, and I think over time, in, in some respects, we, we talk about uh, in, in, our, in our podcast this, this notion of being known, and there's, there's many parts of our stories that require someone else to be present with and for us over a long period of time, continuing to ask us questions, mm. continuing to be curious and nudging us ever closer to what's truer to who we are. And we often aren't aware that it's happening when it's happening. We just think, Amy keeps bugging me about a podcast. That's what we keep thinking. Until then, a couple years ago, when uh, I finished the manuscript of the most recent book that was published, and it really seemed like I, this, it's odd how these things happen. Anybody here Is ever... that about the time you figured out what a podcast was? <laughs> Look, it's, it's just good that I'm a psychiatrist. Because I never, like, when you, like I'm never out of a job when, I'm, when you true. and I, when I when we're, when we're talking. Very I, I'm, true. I'm, 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 like, I just don't get paid enough. I can yes. tell you. I'm not getting paid nearly enough. But there is this sense in which uh, you can have conversations with people that are gradually, uh, in which it's not like they're just giving you information about yourself. You're actually becoming increasingly made more aware of parts of you that you don't know you know because someone else continues to come to find you, mm -hmm. which is a lot of what I think our podcast experience has been. Even yeah. Now. yeah. I think the, uh, the other part of that, too, is you talk about how there are things that we can't imagine about ourselves until someone else imagines it for us. Right. And, you know, Amy really imagined this thing. She, you know, imagined this, and we were both, like you said, a little bit reluctant, like, right. uh, okay. Well, and as you said, I didn't really know what a podcast was at the time. <laughs> I, I barely still do know what, what that is. And Amy, you continued to talk about this with us and be curious about this. And, you know, most people, I think, would also have, uh, you know, after the first seven or eight times that she mentions it, would have been like, oh, okay, I think I'm done talking to him about this. And I, I, I'm, I, like, I see Amy would be one example of how the Holy Spirit continues to work, continues to come to find us over and over right. again, patiently, kindly. And, that's, and so here we are. Yeah. Yeah. So we started the podcast in pretty much the heat of the pandemic. I mean, right. right you know, we were, we were isolated. We were, you know, this is actually the first time that, 
you know, this yesterday was the first time that Kurt and I have been in the same room since COVID started. Right. Right. Yeah. Two and a half, two, almost three years. Yeah. Since that started. And even before then, but like, yeah, it's been a long time. Yeah. It's been a long time. Right. And, and thank goodness that we have been purposeful about meeting every week and recording the podcast because it's been uh, hmm. an amazing part of my life. Yeah. I mean, it has, um, I look forward to it every week. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I look forward to it every week. And, you know, it's, you hear what, what we talk about on the podcast, which is most of, most of it, but there's also, we always try to carve out time ahead of time to share and, and um, you guys, the, the listening that you've done for me, mm. the reflecting back that you've done for me, the dwelling, the gazing, mm. you know, it's, mm. it's the work that you talk about. We're living every week. Yeah. And it's a privilege, and it's just, uh, it's, it's been really impactful. And, and, and when, when we first started, because we were in the pandemic, my anxieties were very high. Hmm. I, was, uh, I was pretty isolated. I mean, aside from, you know, my family, who, my, you know, my wife's in the medical profession, so she's she, or in healthcare, and she's out working still and kind of on the front lines. And, and so I was alone a lot and not, you know just and it just really really got to me but yeah. we would have these these Fridays and I would begin to start more and more paying attention to what I'm paying attention to mm. Mm. I would begin to really practice these things that would help me be more present mm-hmm. and it's just been huge yeah it's just been huge yeah well I think too you know we've we've uh we, we talk about this notion that it's the being known podcast that we really want to be truly known. And I think that what we had the experience of is even though we're talking about a lot of different material over the course of the time that we're doing this project, the very act of doing all that work has given us the opportunity to be known deeply by each other. So we're practicing this even as we're doing the work. Yeah. And I think that that began eight, years ago when we first started to meet and we would have these late nights that were up yep. with a lot of laughter, with tears, with uh, this sense of being known by someone in ways that you think, yeah, I would, I would go to war with, you know, for this person. And so it, it became a natural fit, but I think it, we would say, you know, we, we like to, in our world, we talk about this thing called neuroplasticity. It's a fancy schmancy word that we like to, you know, this, this notion that the brain is fungible. The, the brain is changeable. It's not as static as we thought it was 40 years ago when I was in medical school. And yet, in order for it to change durably, it needs lots and lots and lots of practice. Two millimeters per day, we like to say. That, they, no, that doesn't sound like it's very fast movement. But if we're going to move it two millimeters per day, it means that over the course of many days, weeks, months, and years, you create a durable, new, neural network that really represents states of mind in which we are imagining ourselves differently and we begin to then be able to imagine God differently, primarily because we're having embodied experiences with his body that are calling forth parts of our stories that we otherwise can't know until somebody else is calling them forth. And so in this way, one conversation with Amy would lead to a number of conversations between the three of us and these conversations that we're having over the court, that's not just the recorded part, but these extra parts yeah. of the conversation 
in which we're working through, continue to work through our stories, means that my story gets to be different because two other members are helping me tell that differently over and over and over again. And it's been remarkable to see how that has blossomed literally into what you said we've had now 1.2 million downloads. 1.2 yeah. million downloads, which is like that's. Listen, when we started, Kurt, when we first started this thing, I said, I'm sticking to myself, if we can get 400 people to listen to this, that would be awesome. 400 right? people. Yeah. Be nice. Yeah. 40 people. 40 people. Be nice. Yeah. If I, get, Honestly, like, if I yeah. can get my family to listen to it. Well, right? that, that's, that, I don't that, know. That's, that's, that's not pushing a rock up a steep hill right there. <laughs> right there. Yeah. Yeah. Well, another thing that we've talked about that this, with this kind of, uh, you know, neuroplasticity idea is that, you know, one of the things that's true about the way the brain works, it doesn't tend to work linearly, meaning... Uh, it's not just a matter of I practice, I practice, I practice, I practice, and it just continues to ascend. It's it practices, 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 and then this happens, right? The brain tends to operate, as we like to say, not according to Newtonian physics, right? One-to-one -one ratio. It, it's more like quantum mechanics where you have an input of one, input of one, input of one, output of ten. But it takes lots and lots and lots of practice before you then get there. And... We, we've talked recently about this notion of the mustard seed. Yeah. That, uh, and just in Mark's gospel in the fourth chapter where Jesus talks about the mustard seed is the smallest of the seeds. And when you look at a mustard seed plant, it's typically just a shrub. But when it's given enough time, it actually grows into a tree. And most people don't, when, when we, when most people when they're planting mustard, you see rows of it, small, like small shrubs, rows of small shrubs. You don't mostly see it as a tree, but in the Middle East, it comes in the form of a tree, mm -hmm. but it takes a long time for it to get there. And, but when it does, it becomes one of, the foliage of it is, relatively speaking, to other trees in the Middle East, it's much, much larger. And it would not be something that you would ever predict. And this is not unlike what is required of us to be known. I mean, how many of us have parts of our stories where we think, gosh, I have this one part of my story that continues to nag me. Anybody here have a part of your story that continues to nag you? Like, if I could just go back and work through that thing that happened to me when I was 15. And I feel like I do keep going back to work on that thing. And I want to say that um, we, we, we live in a world that is hell-bent on persuading us that change needs to happen quickly and expansively. We are all about scaling everything. And the reality is that those things that are most beautiful, that are also the most durable, take the longest amount of time to create. And it takes lots and lots of repetition, but we think that we're just repeating the same thing over and over and over again. But we're not really doing it. This past weekend, my wife and I returned to my hometown where uh, we, we returned for a funeral for a much-loved aunt who was 94 and who lived a long, rich life. And I don't know if any of you have had this experience before, but, you know, when you go, I go back to my hometown and, and my house, the, on my street where I grew up, my house seemed to be like about the size of a small box. Right. right? Did anybody have that experience? You go back to places you've been, not been for a long time, and everything seems so much smaller. And of course, you're like, there's something, like, you do have the perception that, like, the street is much shorter, the houses are much smaller, the yards are more, everything's different, and you think, like, the world has changed. Like, there's something, you don't have any sense that you've, you're any different at all. 
And I thought, oh, this is kind of like what it's like for us to continue to go back to old parts of our stories. When we are being deeply known by people at those parts, those parts of our stories that are most painful, where we've had the most wounding, where we really long for the greatest healing, it may take a lot of return to that space over and over and over again. Space, I don't really, I, like I don't want to, I just want to do that one time and be done with it. But the way the brain works and the way our lives actually work and the way Jesus is in the business of working is that in the context of community, we revisit that space over and over. But every time we do, the me that revisits it is not the same me, which means that of course the house is smaller because I'm not approaching the same storyline in the same way. And I think about the number of times, like, so Pepper is an amazing storyteller. Would you agree? Like, I mean, when we listen to him on the podcast, he's a great storyteller. We really like this. And, right. And, and you have told us certain stories, and, and you'll start, like, have I ever, okay, so this is how he'll start a story. Have I ever told you the story before? What story? Like, we don't know yet. What, what story you're about to tell? <laughs> I, I told you this before. Like, okay, and, and, but it doesn't matter because Amy and I will both say, like, it doesn't matter what the story is. That If you've told us this story a, a hundred times, I want to hear you tell this story again because in the course of doing it, I feel that much more internet with you. Mm. And I would want to, and especially if it's a story that's challenging, I would want us to, together, to go back to that same place again and again and again and again in order for the house to become smaller and smaller and smaller, primarily because your sense of becoming an object, an artifact of beauty and goodness is ever expanding and enlarging, which is what I think, you know, this is what the gospel is trying to get at in terms yeah. of what Jesus wants to do with this. Yeah, and very recently, uh, we were having a conversation, the three of us, before one of the podcast recordings, and you really embodied that to me. I mean, you really... you because I was sharing some things and letting some things out and some things off my chest and the two of you were both actively listening, reflecting back. And when I finished, you said, this isn't over. Hmm. And hmm. you more than gave me permission to bring it back. You said, I want you to bring this back. I want you to talk to me again about this. We, we want to hear more about this. Mm -hmm. Because one time, it takes a little bit of the air out of the balloon, but it doesn't, it's... It's not the cure-all. Yeah. How many here have uh, listened to the podcast at all? Has anybody, has anybody most, most people have? I mean, I mean, I'd be surprised if you're not raising your hand. Like, <laughs> you just kind of like wandered in off the street. You just wandered in off the street. <laughs> we have a whole season on shame that we can, <laughs> we can check on that, Margot. <laughs> right. And uh, so I have completely lost my train of thought. You I have no idea what I was, right, what I'm going right. to do. You said, how many of you people are watching the podcast? Yeah, I, yeah. I remember that you part. Remember that part? What, it, it's the part of the train. Uh, oh, okay, train. Right, this notion, we've, we've spoken before yeah. about, you know, shame uh, accesses us early on, 15 to 18 months of age. And uh, it's, it's, it's odd, like you can be with a group of people and you repeat this fact, and it's almost like every time you hear it, it's still incredulous that you become aware that we've been at this shame thing for as long as we've been at it. Mm. And so we're good at it, we're practiced at it, and so it doesn't take very much for it to be evoked, for it to be reactivated. 
And that whole notion that the real estate in our brain that is taken up by those neural networks that represent shame's experience that also are embodied with us take a long time to redirect. And so we talk about this notion of if uh, shame is not like a small radio flyer wagon that is approaching you on the sidewalk. You've heard me say this before, that if it's coming at three miles an hour, at a walking pace, you could just put your foot out and stop it. Because if you were standing on a railroad track and you had a locomotive that's coming at you at three miles an hour, you couldn't stop it. But it's not because of the velocity. It's because of the mass effect. And that's what shame is. Shame and our trauma come at us as a locomotive. And what we are in the business of doing, especially in the creation of vulnerable communities, especially in these confessional communities that we've talked an awful lot about, we're building a bigger train. And that's exactly what we need. We would say this is what the body of Jesus is all about. It's building a bigger train that is pushing back against the kingdom of darkness by giving us the opportunity to be more deeply known and especially in those parts of our stories where we least want people to come. The places where we are most frightened are in fact the places where the greatest resource for beauty and goodness are waiting for us. But it's hard for us to actually sense that, feel that image, that because we don't have enough neural memory tracks to convince us that if you get close to me, you're not eventually gonna see what's there and leave. So what we've been trying to do with the podcast is to, I think try, we're, we're trying to embody what it means to do the opposite, what it means to build a bigger train. Yeah. I, the, the train analogy, I love that. You know, for me, I started building my train. I, I met with a mentor for 15 years, every Wednesday at 6.30 in the morning at DuPars Restaurant in Studio City. And Gene was, um, he was probably when we first started meeting, he was probably in his, uh, close to, eight, he was in his 70s. He was retired and in his 70s. And I would come in and I would, we would, we would share and, I'd want to go to one of those, go to those places, not want to go, but go to those places because over time we had, we built safety and I knew that I could, I could say those things and he would just say, you're a boy scout, you know, or he'd say, I love you more than I did when you walked in the room. Hmm. Hmm. And hmm. he just like, like we've talked about, he, he in that moment embodied Christ to me. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. And I think that we've, we've talked about how, the way, one of the ways to really f- tangibly feel God, if not the only way, is through one another. Right. And, and feeling that acceptance and love. Mm-hmm. Uh, talk about your th- things changing. I mean, right. uh, yeah. Right. Well, I mean, we've, we've talked about this on the podcast. Uh, you and I have had moments, Amy, and we have had moments where we've revealed things about yeah. our lives to each other that, you know, we wouldn't ever really want to broadcast beyond you know, that right. context. There, you know, there are a handful of people here in this room who have been to me that same thing. They've, they've been uh, places of receptivity for me. You know, we, we talk about human beings are not very good at loving one another. I don't, I don't know if you know that or not. We're just, we, we have a hard time uh, loving one another. But we also uh, like to say that the reason that we have a hard time loving one another is because we have a hard time giving what we don't have because you, you can't give what you don't have. And so it's actually, as it turns out, it's actually even more difficult for us as human beings to be receptive to love than it is for us to love others. 
the reason I can't love my enemy very well, let alone my wife or my son or my best friend, is because the parts of me that can't love my enemy well are the parts of me that I still hate. And those are the parts that unless they are receptive to being loved, I won't ever love my enemy. And so it's in situations like this, like with the three of us that, that have, like my conversation with, you know, with Neil and with others, where the parts of me that I hate the most, and believe me, like there are parts that I really don't want to have in the room, uh, we can invite them into the room. And what I'm having to do in those moments, it's not just revealing something, like I'm having to practice being receptive to being loved. And like that's part of building the bigger train because like I'm just not very good at it. I, you know, I'm, 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 I'm good at it with the parts of me that I like enough, but not with the parts of me that I really don't like very much. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's hard, hard to imagine that those parts are the very places where God is looking to create the most beauty. So I got a question for you. Sure. Do we do we have a do we have a poem? Uh, I mean, I I could try. I might butcher a little bit of it. I can try. Okay. Is it okay to try? Sure. Okay. So I I I want us to. Uh, I I'm gonna we're gonna go someplace with this. Um, so, go ahead. I got to get the first Give me one. a second. Yeah. Yeah. When despair for the world grows in me and I wake in the night at the least sound in fear of what my life and what my children's lives may be, I go and lay down where the wood drake rests in its beauty and the great heron feeds. I come into the peace of wild things who do not tax themselves with forethought of grief. I come beside the still water and lay beneath the day-blind stars waiting for their light. And for a moment, I am free. That wasn't perfect. That's close. Is that not killer? Okay. That's Wendell Berry, The Piece of Wild Things. And the reason why Kurt asked for that poem is that during the course of this podcast, in learning and pursuing beauty, uh, one of the things that I did, this was uh, during the COVID, so I was walking a lot and spending a lot of time in nature, and um, I decided that because I was waking in the night hmm. uh, in fear of what my life and what my children's lives would be. Okay, hang on just a second. That line, anybody here worry about what your children's lives will be? Yeah. I'm sorry, I interrupted. No, no. Yeah. Um, like, that's live action, man. Right? And so I would walk every day and try to put the poem to memory because I wanted to have it. I wanted to have access to it when I needed it. And 
the one day that I finally, I really had it, right? I mean, this is the day, I, okay, I got it now. And I take this walk, and I go through my neighborhood and, and down, and I end where I, the halfway point is a park. And then I turn around and come back. But the park um, has a beautiful creek that runs through it. And I, I'm coming up, and I'm, and I'm coming across the bridge, and I'm reciting about the lying down where the wood drake rests in its beauty and the great heron feeds. And I see some movement in the water. And I look down, and there's a great heron feeding about 100 yards from me. And just before, between me and the heron, there's movement. And I'm like, if that's a wood drake, I'm just, I'm, I'm done. <laughs> Well, it was not a woodrake, but it was a gorgeous mallard that in that moment just rose up and came. I could hear his wings flapping over my head as he went down and went around the bend and around the corner where I couldn't see it anymore. And I just, it just felt like such a gift. Hmm. And I just had, you know, my, <laughs> I had goosebumps everywhere. Right, right. right. Now, my favorite line from the poem is the, this idea of, the, the wild things who do not tax themselves with the forethought of grief. About being present, mm. right? And mm. not, not grieving what's to come or what right. may come. Right. Yeah. Well, and I'm, I'm always, I'm, I'm struck also by the fact that, you know, we, we, we talk an awful lot in our work about this, the, the need for us to practice putting ourselves in the path of oncoming beauty that there's beauty around us everywhere all the time that's just very easy for us to miss because I'm not practicing looking for it on a regular basis. And I think about the fact that, I mean, how, how easy it would be to go on that walk and, you, you know, we, we might notice the hair and we might pause and notice, we might, you know, be aware of, right, when the mallard's flying over. But there's something about your practicing, putting yourself in the midst of this beauty of this poem yeah. Over again, practicing over and over and over and over again, and allowing the very practice of that to prime you to be looking for, seeing the great heron when you just notice the movement. Yeah. And I'm, I'm struck with that notion of how so much of our awareness and presence in the present moment of beauty that we otherwise don't look for, we won't see it, happens because if we don't see it, it, won't, it happens because we're not practicing looking for it in the first place. But part of our practicing looking for it also includes putting ourselves in a position where other people are practicing looking for it within us, where we also wouldn't typically tend to see it. Yeah, and I think there's also an element that, and we've talked about it on the podcast, that it requires work. Right. The pursuit of beauty, right? Right. Just the idea of practicing and looking for it, mm -hmm. if, you aren't, if you aren't working to do that, it'll, it, it can just pass you by, right? right? right. And then um, when, I, when I put this poem to memory, you know, that isn't something that just is, that you do every day, right? right. And, and the beauty that has come out of that for me, you know, has been great. Right. You know, it reminds me, um, one, of, uh, one of our speakers tomorrow, Allison Cook, you're going to hear from her. And, you know, one of the things that she talks about is uh, the, 
you know, the psychological framework of internal family systems, which many of you may be familiar with, this notion that we have different parts. You'll hear her speak elegantly about this tomorrow. Um, but for instance, we, it's, it's often, it's easy for me to say, well, I am this or I am that. But when I start to think like, oh, there is a part of me that feels this, there is a part of me that senses that, the reality is now I got more of me I got to pay attention to. I wish I didn't have more parts that I have to look at. It would be just nicer if there's just one of me. Most people are glad there is only one of me. But we can have these different parts, but it requires work yeah. to do this kind of, to put this kind of effort into paying more and more and more attention to these elements of, uh, of our work together. So there is this sense in which if beauty is going to emerge, then it takes lots of practice. But with practice pursuing beauty, we find that uh, we start to discover some things about ourselves, but also we start to accumulate things about ourselves that I think is going to have something to do with our next season. Yes, it is. So I recently saw a, a review for the podcast, and somebody said, the two hosts are whimsical and wise, and I wondered which one I was. I, I, I'm still confused about if I'm either of those things. Yeah, I'm please, just like... please. You're both. You're both. So next season, season six, six for us, yeah. is going to be titled, You Start It. What's the first it's, one? I, I can't, these two, there's two words. There's two words. There's two words. Yeah. Well, there's more than two words in the title. It's alphabetical. It's The Beauty of Wisdom. Is what the title the of is going to be, right? Right. Yeah. And um, the, a lot of this is uh, taken from the um, well. So, somebody is taken from the uh, two more important elements of my current spiritual formation work, uh, which uh, is the, the t online TV series The Chosen. That's one of one things important for my spirit. And uh, I don't know how many of you are familiar with the Bible Project or not, but the Bible Project is just these guys are just killing it. And, um, you know, one of the things that, that they like to, to say on the Bible Project is that the Bible is a, a unified story that leads to Jesus. That's one of their taglines. But when they describe what it actually is, kind of technically, they would say that it is an ancient Jewish, it is ancient Jewish meditative wisdom literature. All those adjectives, ancient Jewish meditative wisdom literature. And one of the things that they take, talk a great deal about is that to, to be meditative is not just to meditate on something, to think about something, but it is to actually continue to return to different passages over and over and over and over again, that we are meditating on things. To do that requires me to revisit texts over and, and letting other texts speak to earlier texts and so forth and so on, that the Bible is, as they like to call it, self-interpretive. And as I've been thinking about this, I've, I've been thinking like one of the things that we discover about both what they're talking about in the Bible Project and what, what we see in The Chosen is this notion that the notion of presence, the notion of I'm going to be fully present where I am, is going to give me greater and greater capacity to live as fully as I possibly can. Because as we like to say, when it comes to the brain and time travel, the only time, as far as the brain is concerned, the only time you actually have is now. Mm. The brain constructs awarenesses of this thing that we imagine to be a thing that we call the past and a thing that we imagine that we call the future. 
But as far as the brain itself is concerned, there's no such thing as the past or the future. It's only creating those senses of those things in the present moment, because that's all the time that we're ever actually living in. And most of our challenge, most of what creates our anxiety, is that we spend a lot more time in our past and in our future, in our mind, than we actually are occupying. And so I burn a lot of energy managing and containing what I would consider to be regret, sadness, grief, and I spend a lot of energy managing my anxiety that has to do with the thing that I call the future. And I have, therefore, a lot more difficulty living where my body actually is, right here in the present moment. And one of the things that we discover about what wisdom is, is that it is an ever-expanding capacity to occupy presence. There is more of me to which I become increasingly present to as I become increasingly present to more of those with whom I currently am, as opposed to spending lots and lots of time someplace else in the future or someplace else in the past. These are different things. When we, when we talk about time in the brain, these are different things than what we mean when we say that we plan for the future. That's a different way that the brain thinks about the future, but we're planning with intention. That's different than worrying about the future. It's a different activity of the brain altogether. And there's a different activity of the brain when I am simply remembering for reflective purposes than if I'm remembering for regretful purposes. My brain does very, very different things in those two states of mind. When we talk about wisdom, we're really talking about how do we reflect on the past for the purpose of, being, for the purpose of anticipating a future that is all largely being informed by our living in the present moment. And that living in the present moment, we, we like to say in psychotherapy, for instance, there's nothing that we do in the psychotherapy consultation room, in the spiritual formation consultation room, that we're not doing everywhere else in the world. You think, like, gosh, like, I thought when you did psychotherapy, like weird things happened in that room. Like, like, it's strange, like you have strange conversations about all kinds of things. Like you wouldn't have those kinds of conversations with, like in the grocery checkout line. You wouldn't talk about that stuff, but you're thinking it. Right? All the things that happen, that what, what's different about what happens in the consultation room is that we are making everything explicit. We are naming all the things that are really happening in my head. You know, we're, we're talking about these things. In, like it is live action instead of just having these things banging around in my head with me walking through time and space without actually naming them. And as we like to say, we name things to tame things. And as we are doing that, we become more aware of what we are aware of. And then I can make a different decision tomorrow than I would have made otherwise because I'm now more present to myself and to what's happening in the room. And that is where we start to acquire wisdom. But all of that includes paying attention to the parts of me that I also really don't want to pay attention to. Right. And therein lies the beauty of what wisdom becomes. It becomes this practice of presence. And we might say, oh, yes, I'm present in the room. And that's about as far as we're aware of, as opposed to being increasingly present, that there will always be more and more of you to discover that God wants to use to bring beauty and goodness to everyone else that's going to be within your path in the time and space that you occupy. I that's a mouthful. That Sorry. is. I can't wait to get started on that. Um, it's, it's going to be exciting. I'm, I've got to dig into the Bible project a little bit more. I know you're going to send me some certain things that you wanted me to watch that you yeah. never did send, but I'm sure you will. Yeah, but look, and, yeah, but the uh, season, we don't start to record for like another month and a half. Yeah. Oh, so, by the way, uh, I, I do want to say that this year, 
Kurt remembered my birthday. Oh my gosh. So wait, so, so he posted the nicest thing about me on social media. I was, I was really touched by it. So I called him and I said, Kurt, you know, you remembered, I mean, you know, it's good. You remembered me this year. I think, guess our friendship's really blossoming. And he said, what are you talking about? I said, the birthday greeting, that you, he said, Kara must have posted something for you. <laughs> He said, I don't know what I, I don't know what I, what did I say? I said, well, you, you, well, should you read told me. Because it, it was really nice. He said, it almost, know. it almost felt like I was known. Right. Almost. <laughs> almost. A almost. Step away. You did. Well, dude, like your shorts were looking really good that day. Uh-huh. You did. It was a great outfit. Oh, yeah, that's, that's right. That's right. You did. You had like the, like the super cool vest and shirt on and then like, yeah. It's, uh, it's like, it's like, it's right out, it's, it's like right out of Hollywood. Yeah. And, you know. Business in the top, party on the bottom, maybe. Oh, gosh. So, yeah. uh, I just got texted that we're, our time was about up. Amy yeah. keeps us Amy's on. Amy's been texting Amy us. keeps us right on here. time. Amy's we'll get, text. I'll get texts in the middle of the podcast. Um, and she just said time. Yeah. She says, uh, Pepper, watch the ums. <laughs> okay. In five minutes. She keeps time. So. Okay. Thank you for this time today, Kurt. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. It's been good to be, good good, to be together. Good yeah. to be in the same room. And when is you. your birthday again? Tw- 11 days before yours. 11 days before my September 1st. Yes. Wow. Yeah. Okay, could so. you call me like the day before and remind me? <laughs> and then I'll, 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 and I won't forget Over then. and over uh, and, and, I, and over then, again. And then if you do, it might change. if you do, I'll text Kara and have her post have something. Her, have, her si- have her say something nice yeah, for me. Yeah, have her say something nice. Awesome. Yeah. I love you. Thank you. We want to invite Amy up with us. And uh, like I said, if you are someone who watches the podcast on YouTube, uh, we always have these post-show conversations where Amy comes in and, and joins us and gives us her perspective, and uh, it's always very valuable time. Most so, of the time. Most of the time. <laughs> most of the Sometimes time. we can't get her to stop talking. It's true. Yeah. Hi, guys. Hi, Am. <laughs> that didn't land so well. It was funny. It was, I mean, it was yeah. funny. Yeah. So yeah. I, okay. I have a question for you. Yeah. When... When you first thought of, you know, Kurt doing this podcast and, mm-hmm. um, and you know, me being a part of it, like, like mm-hmm. what was your reasoning <laughs> behind that? Yeah, what were you thinking? What were you thinking? Like, why? Okay, yeah. so when, so with Kurt, because it started with Kurt, not when we first met him, because <laughs> <laughs> nothing happened then. Clearly. Because <laughs> you weren't there. I just, you just, you just, it's just. Hey, there is a condition in which people have like, no, you know, no, collaborative no, no, delusional time, states. Time. They, they collaborative delusional. <laughs> yeah. so I just want to let you know, like the psychiatric condition does exist. Okay, go ahead. So, the first time that I heard heard Kurt speak at Seasons, uh, the first thing I remember you saying was, "We come into this world looking for someone to be looking for us." Hmm. And then I couldn't hear anything else he said because I was like stuck on that. I'm like, oh my gosh. I, I can just unfold that in my head like, wait, what? And you said a lot more after that. <laughs> that wasn't the only thing you said. Just, yeah. And like all of my friends were not in the room. And I thought, okay, people need to hear you. So I was like, oh my gosh, a podcast could be the solution to that because I could listen to it later. <laughs> And then, so I said, Kurt, a podcast. <laughs> so, Kurt, is this a thing. podcast. Right. Is they... It's and sort I of like, you remember the radio? It's sort of like the radio. <laughs> you know, that when you used to gather around and go ahead. 
Everything kind of like that. Look, I mean, can you, do you, you understand why I'm the psychiatrist and I'm anxious just because I'm having to, to deal with this? This is just like, I write myself prescriptions when I know that I have to. I get ready for, the, I get ready for Friday mornings and I'm like, honey, where's the Xanax? It's just. <laughs> so, and I remember that conversation in Anaheim. Yeah. And you, I said, Kurt, you so got to have a podcast. And he said, great. And I thought, he, he, he doesn't know what I mean, but he was agreeable. So then we had conversations, and we would pick it up every now and then. And then Pepper, Pepper and I have worked together for almost, 21, over 21 years. Yeah. And there's not, no project that I would say no to if, if Pep is on it. Mm -hmm. So I was like, okay, Pep, Kurt needs to do a podcast. <laughs> and he's like... Okay, that's a good idea. And then I thought, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. The two of you should do it. Because then I thought, okay, you can't really do a podcast about being known on your own. By yourself. <laughs> like, yeah. So I'm like, Kurt, I mean, I'm like, Pep, okay, you gotta, you gotta co-host it. Because also, the chemistry between you guys, mm. Pepper's stories, your wisdom, your beauty, your wisdom. No, you're both, you're both beautiful and wise. Okay, that was good. That was good. I like that. Season six, beauty and wisdom. <laughs> so, and you both said yes, eventually. Yeah, it took a while. Yeah. It took a while. I say it took a while. Oh, yeah, it took what it took. So what right? has been the most surprising thing for you about the podcast, besides the fact that people listen? Yeah, more than our families. Yeah. Um, for me, I mean, the fact that we're on our sixth season and that people do listen to it and engage with it, the most surprising thing to me is the vulnerability that it has brought up for me. Hmm. Because, like, so the very first, very first recording, you know, I'm like, record. And then I'm like, okay, start, you guys. Start. <laughs> then, I mean, well, that, that start the That was an auspicious beginning, if anybody remembers the very first <laughs> yeah. beginning. But, so I, I'm like, I can do this. I can press record. I can remind you about the time, and I can press stop. And then, at the end, Kurt said, so, Aim, what'd you think? And I'm like, oh, okay. And we talked for 20 minutes. Mm -hmm. And then Kurt said, I think it was the next recording, you said, I think we need to keep those conversations. And that took me to a different place. Like, it's not, if, if I have one gift, it's organization. Like, I can organize, I have confidence in that, that's my thing. But this was different, mm. like, okay. And so I just kept saying yes. And then being known, it's just like a fabulous, so the vulnerability, like, mm. and we've talked about that. And that was the most, by far the most surprising thing for me. Yeah. What about you? Do you have anything? Yeah, I think besides the fact that I've been surprised that the two of you want to keep <laughs> spending time with me, mm. which has been really a, a, a great pleasure. I, I think I've also, uh, I, I, this this isn't this isn't surprising. Like I, I just look forward to Fridays right, recording time. Like I can't wait to get to Friday. Yeah. That's that's one thing. That, that's so that's not a surprise. I think what has been meaningful and I'm I'm grateful for has has been the the feedback that we've gotten from people mm. about the way our relationship has felt. Like Lewis might say, like uh, this process of good infection. Mm. Um, I think as people have described 
what their experience is of, of you're saying of, your relationship with me is like an infection <laughs> a good infection bro. Oh, like it's, I it's, that. it's, it's, okay, it's a, go a good it's a good infection and i'm i'm um i'm i think i've i've because i there was a time when i didn't know what a podcast was it's and okay. yeah and and now it it's uh it it has felt like uh that mustard seed yeah it has felt like god is taking this this thing that you know, and, and again, it's it's this whole notion that beauty is often it often emerges because of something that somebody else sees. Right. Like I never, I, I like this is never would have been my idea never to, to do this, and it requires the, the two of you coming together, the three of us doing this together, and then it has this downstream effect for other people that are finding both, uh, not just the content, not the, the information, but the experience of our relationship. And I'm, I think I'm just really grateful to uh, be able to do that with you and surprised at, at how much impact that that's had. Yeah, that's same. Had. For me, I think the thing that I'm always surprised about is when I actually get notes from you for what the sh what we're going to do that day because it usually comes in. You're surprised in, that you get notes from me? It literally comes in like... As we're sit, as we're hitting record. Okay, okay. Let me let me let me ask you this: Have I ever sent you Have I ever sent you the notes after we've started to record? There was that one time. There was that one no, time. No, I no. I, 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 there look, was if, that one time when you the, texted it's them. It's because I like you guys. I trust you. Yeah. Like all you need. Like so I don't. I don't even need to, be to trusted. use notes. You're just. It is. It's, you, it, yeah. 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 You know, I, not not that it surprised me. There's so many things that you know um, about just the whole experience that I've loved, but. I think that one of the things that's just been really life-giving for me is the laughter. Mm. I, I laugh so hard. When we're, when we're together, I just laugh so hard. It's just, it, it's, to, to, it's been so fun. It reminds me of so that fun. first evening walking down the hallway at the hotel. You guys, oh my gosh. The first night that Kurt and I met. No. I would just say <laughs> he was laughing so hard as we were walking to a meeting that he leaned up against the wall, and his legs started to give out. And he's sliding down the, wall, the hall yeah, in complete hysterics, which yeah. totally yeah. cracked me up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, laughter's been good. Yeah, so this has been amazing, you guys. But I would love uh, to know if you have any questions for us. Well, first of all, I do want to say that this is, this being, having been our fifth season, and it was the first season that we've had uh, sponsors. And our two sponsors have been absolutely amazing. We had Hope Heals, which when Kurt and I talk and Amy talk about the seasons, weekends that we used to do, Jay and Catherine Wolf were a part of those weekends. And they're dear, dear friends of ours. And their organization is incredible. And we're all about supporting them. And they want to support us, which is great. And then uh, also Hun's Honey, which please on your way out, they're actually here. They've got a table set up out here with uh, lots of great product to support them because they support us. And the work that they do is life-changing for women who have gone through all types of different trauma. They're an unbelievable organization. So there's that. And But we'd love to open it up for questions, if there's any questions that anybody would like to ask. And if not, I'm going to start asking you questions. We should have given them a hot minute to know yeah. that we were going to ask them. It reminds me of yeah. Kurt's notes. No, no, I meant that. I meant that to our, we did the same thing. We didn't give them heads right. up. Right. Yes. You want me to go down? No, I'll go. Okay. So we can all hear you. Hey, what's Hi, your name? So my name's Susan. Where are you from, so Susan? We came from New Jersey. All right. Wow. Yeah. For oh, tonight thanks and for, for coming. Tomorrow, yeah. So big fan, um, and 
have been listening to the podcast since the first one and have read all the books. So really enjoy it when I listen to you guys talk and um, the things that you discuss. I feel like this is my tribe of people. Mm. You mm. know, I just, mm. uh, so much resonates. So thank you so much. And I've mm. been sharing. I got my friend Debbie to start uh, listening Welcome. to it. And we've she's read your books too. So it's been a joy and uh, really enjoy it. So, so my question's a little on the lighter side, but I wanted to know actually if Pepper and Amy have watched The Chosen yet. So I, I have watched the first season of The Chosen. And I'm, the reason why I haven't watched more is because I'm watching it with my wife, and it's one of those things where we're waiting for each other, you know? And so, yeah, but I loved, I've, I've loved it, yeah. I feel like I've watched it because this one talks about it so much. So that's a no. I have not watched it. It is on my list. Right. Yeah. I've watched both seasons four times. Yeah. So I'm, I'm like, yeah. Explaining to them about the, the uh, and he started making jokes about Oh, you well, know, yeah, he was going to oh, give away the no ending. Spoilers, right. yeah. yeah, he was about to give away the oh, whole and ending. When you guys were like, no, we haven't Dude. watched it yet. Dude, can I, I just say, like, we know how the story like, you have, exactly right. I was like, you have to, to give watch away. That was the, the whole thing. Yeah, it, right, yeah, it is amazing. And season three is going is to start soon, so you got to catch yeah. up. Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah. yeah, it's beautiful. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Anybody else? Yeah. We'll wait, Amy. Hey, my name is Marcus, and I have a question for you, Kurt. You had referenced that you feel fear that people will walk away when you share harder parts of your story. Hmm. And I wondered if that fear lessens as you continue to be friends with Amy and Pepper. Hmm. That's a great question. Uh, and I, I, the, the short answer is, uh, you bet it does. And I, I think... We, you know, we, we, we talked about, in working with patients, I said, look, um, I want you to become unafraid of feeling afraid. That's what really we're working toward, becoming unafraid of feeling afraid. It doesn't mean that we never feel afraid again. But if I have, in, in the whole notion of building a bigger train, if I create enough memory of what it means to reveal the parts of me that I'm afraid to reveal... I have the experience in, I, I've, I have memory capital, as it were, of what it's like to reveal the part of me that I'm terrified to reveal. So when I come upon a part that I am afraid of, I can draw on the memory of, oh, I don't have to just stay in this fear isolated and by myself. I have an additional memory to which I can appeal, in which I can say, like, when I get to Friday, like, I'm afraid, I'm afraid right now, perhaps, but when I get to Friday, I have confidence that I can start to invite this fear into the room. And the more practice that we have doing this, the more confidence that we have. It doesn't mean that we'll never be afraid again, but it does mean that every time we encounter something, I mean, evil's never going to sleep, right? It's not, it's not, it, like it's not going away. It's not going in, you know, it's not going to quit. And so we have to recognize it will use fear every opportunity it gets. And the more practice that we have at revealing those parts of us that we're afraid to reveal, the more confident we become in those moments that we're afraid. Amy, Amy. up here. Oh. You have one job. Sorry. Yeah, 
You have one. Yeah. It must not, it, but no, it, apparently it's not this one. In that same vein of what you just talked about, the yeah. practice mm. of not being afraid in this instance, have you, in your, pra in your professional practice, used animal-assisted therapies? I, I'm a uh, equine specialist mm. using equine-assisted psychotherapy mm -hmm. and learning. So I was curious. Somebody's clapping for horses. I, yeah. I love that. Yeah. I was curious if you have personally ever used that because it's, it's the same principle practicing, in this case, with a horse who's always present, has no agenda. You learn how to trust, and then you can draw on that with people. Yeah. So have you? Right. So, um, so the question has to do with, like, you know, do, do I do that? Well, um, I don't, I don't personally use animal-assisted therapy, not because I have anything against it. In fact, we were telling these guys last night, we've just begun to use, uh, we've got a therapy dog that has just now become part of our practice. We're not sure, we're not sure what rate it's gonna charge us yet. We we're, trying to, we're trying to figure that out. Uh, but one of our therapists uh, has a dog that they're using for that. Um, I became familiar with uh, equine-assisted therapy about 20 years ago and uh, have been aware of its presence and like it, its uh, capacity to, to bring healing for a lot of reasons, but not least of which, especially with horses, is not only because of their sensitivity, but also because of their heft, right? It's their size, it's, it's like this sense of when, and, and, and interestingly enough, this has to do with the physics of the brain and what it means for one to be in a room with one party, if you're with a therapist, versus being in a room with six or eight other parties, and you're in a group, in a confessional community, for instance, for you to be seen by one person is one thing. For you to be seen by seven or eight other people simultaneously has a very different seismic impact on the brain. Right, in, in, your, in, your very, in the very physiology, right? And so when you're like up close to a horse, similar things are gonna happen, right? The horse is gonna sense things, and you don't just have a human being, 120 or 30, 40 pound, 80 pound human, you have a however 800 pound, 1200 pound animal that is sensing something with you, and you have something else that holds you neurophysiologically in a way that we aren't held by other bodies that don't have as much mass effect. So, and then the other thing that's really interesting is that we've just, uh, we're hiring a, a, a person to come and work for us who's an equine therapy specialist. So um, between, now we're thinking like, oh gosh, we're really wondering where we're gonna put the horse in the office. I'm not really quite <laughs> sure where we're gonna do that, but yeah. So thanks for your question. And for those of you who, who aren't familiar with it, um, uh, you can check that out. It's really, uh, it's, it's, a, it's a very powerful form of intervention, yeah. We have time for like one more question. Yep, aim again. Aim. I missed the hands. It's right here. Oh, we've got two. Oh, we got. Hi. I'll hold it for you. Thank you. Uh, Joan Wright, I came all the way from Charlotte. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Thanks for coming. And I was telling uh, a friend and also a doctor that I was coming to this um, two-day experience, and I did a lousy job of explaining it. And he said, if this is about celebrating being a victim, you need to run away. And I was so mad. Um, 
because I know I know much more. But how do we get away from that feeling of? Um, he said, "This is all about being resilient." So how how do we get away from that um, place of getting stuck in uh, either helping others be victims or me being a victim myself? And I don't know. It's an awkward question, but. I can't tell you how mad I was because um, I was so excited about coming and this powerful doctor friend said, if this is about being a victim, you know, turn around and oh, fly Oh, you mean if, if our gathering is about being a victim? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, um, You want me to take this one? Please. <laughs> you go ahead. <laughs> Do you see? Do you see, see this, this, is, this is what I have to live with. You know, one of the things that we, uh, we talked about in this in, in the series on the soul of desire is that we are people of great longing and we are people of great grief. And, you know, Jesus asks, you know, in his first words in John's gospel, right, what do you want? What's your longing? And uh, as we learn about the Hebrew, the Hebrew writers, uh, those who were Hebrew, they didn't, you know, the New Testament wasn't written in Hebrew, but they were Hebrew writers. Most of them, all except for Luke, were Hebrew writers. Um, one of the things that they often do uh, in the particular things that they write is they, when they introduce you to a character, the very first words that the character speaks are often words that the writer really wants you to know is really a significant indication of who this person really is. The very first words. And Jesus is the one who wants to know what we want. Now we, especially if we were people of faith, we grew up in, there's a certain element of the Kool-Aid that we've been drinking that, you know, we've got all kinds of anxiety that is wrapped around naming what we want. We can be worried about that. But he really wants to know what we want. And so he wants to know what our longings are. And it's crucially important for us to know that if we don't answer that question, it's going to be hard for us to be comfortable in heaven. Heaven's like, it's, it, we're not, it's not going to be, because he's really going to want to know what we want. Because at the end of that question series is what I really want is beauty and goodness and to be with you and to be with other people who want the same thing. But I have so much of my trauma and my grief and so forth that gets in the way of that, that it's hard for me to answer that question because we are also people of grief. And so it's really important for us to name what our griefs are. That's not about being a victim. That's about telling our story more truly. It's not about me complaining or throwing other people under the bus or holding other people responsible for my experience. It is about naming my experience for what it really is. This is what Good Friday does. This is God telling the story that we are people who have screwed this up. We can't get out of this our own, and he's coming for us. He's naming our grief when we can't even get to it. And that doesn't make him a victim that makes him someone who is very much not that because Jesus is trusting that Easter's coming. Now, I have a hard time doing that unless someone gets to enough of my grief that that person then can start to pull me in the direction that's away from my grief. And so I don't need to know that I'm a victim, but I do need to name what my pain is in order for me to have someone share that so that my brain's not carrying that by itself. 
in order for me then to begin to take steps in a different direction. Otherwise, I will only continue to burn energy, literally, my neural, I will continue to burn neural network energy to contain the pain that somebody else isn't sharing with me. If I have it in isolation, that's what I'm going to do. Does that make sense? And so we're not going to be people of victimhood. We are going to be people of grief. But in the course of naming our grief, in the context of other people, we actually do build resilience. My resilience isn't a thing that I build. It is a thing that we build. My resilience is only ever a product of, my, of the degree of connection that I have with other people. And I'm just really glad you came from Charlotte to this conference. I think you're going to enjoy yourself immensely. That's great. So I do have a couple of questions for you. Um, so first of all, ra raise your hand if you know the answer to this, if you can answer this. Which one of us is colorblind? Yeah. Can you tell by what he's wearing? Is that, is that what gave am it I away? To, am, I, am I supposed to leave now? Am I supposed to go down there and sit? No, no, you're good. Okay. Wait, yeah. Because you may want to comment, you know, you, yeah, yeah. So yeah, so... For having the answer correct, we want to give you this lovely gift box from Hans Honey. She oh, right oh, yeah, she yeah. came from Phoenix. Right? Didn't you come from Phoenix? Okay, see, now everybody wants to wow. answer your question, huh? Oh, I see wow. all kinds of hands okay. going up. I want okay. a prize. Yeah, I feel like Oprah. Okay. <laughs> all right. Wait, we're doing... Gonna... Oh, yeah, you can keep yeah. going. You can keep... Let's see. Okay, who can name what state each of us live in? Ooh, your hand went up first. So close, but I'm sorry. What you were wrong. What was yours? What did she guess for you? She, uh, what do you mean me? Who, no, knows, no, no, which, no. who knows which one was wrong? I, okay. Yeah. Go ahead. That is correct. We have a winner. Oh, yeah. Oh, yes. Yeah. I have one job. You have, Carol Merrill has one job, and she... <laughs> yeah. Oh. So uh, what do we have here, Hope Carol? Heels. Hope Heels. Hope Heels. Oh, open yeah, open it. Look at this. The Hope sweatshirt. Oh, this I love this. So, so we know Catherine. I don't know if you know Catherine or not, but this is a cross that she holds all the time. That's beautiful, right? And a couple and of their books and, and a beautiful candle. So thank you, Hope Heels. Okay, we have a couple more. All right. Let's see. Do you want to just hold That would be a really silly question. <laughs> okay, here's, here's one. Can anybody name what artistic expression that my mom has taken up? Back here. Painting. Very good. Come on up. You know, it's been a, that has been amazing. My mom is 90, she'll be 91 years old. She's never really in my lifetime ever done anything even remotely crafty. And she has started painting. She paints every day now. She has, I didn't tell you this, but one of her neighbors, a young, young girl, not, I mean, in her 20s, She's a painter. She comes to my mom's house every Thursday and they paint together. Wow. My daughters go over there and paint with her. She's, it's, it's, to see her, she's an inspiration, the way that she has, continues to grow and just pursue beauty. And yeah, it's really, really awesome. Okay. One more question. Okay, One who can gift. name, who can name all of Kurt's books? Ooh. Yes, ma'am. Right there. Come on up. Well, it's going to be a long walk back if you don't get them all right. 
A long, empty-handed walk back. That's all I got to say. Okay, the anatomy of the soul, that's number one. The soul of shame, that's number two. And the soul of desire. There you go. Boom. Very good. Very good. Another Hope Heals box. What, what, Hunt, let's, Hunt's, honey. Hunt's Honey box. Yes. Say that again. Can we name number four? Can we name it? Yeah. Yeah. So uh, August 8th of next year, uh, we're going to be released The Deepest Place, Suffering and the Formation of Hope. That's a good reaction. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Very nice. Yeah. Looking forward to that. Thanks. Thanks for asking. Yeah. You guys, this has been so much fun. We so appreciate you all for coming. We so appreciate you all for listening. It's amazing to us. It's an honor to be here. And just thank you so much for, for coming. And hopefully we'll see a lot of you tomorrow, too. Yeah, thank you. Thank you so much. This podcast is produced by Kurt Thompson, Pepper Sweeney, and myself, Amy Chella. Audio production and editing is by Keaton Simons. Video production and editing is by Mark Gould. Speaking of videos, each week we post the video version of every episode to our YouTube channel. You can find us on YouTube by going to youtube.com or your app and searching Being Known Podcast. If you'd like to connect with us, you can find us on social media at Being Known Pod. If you like this podcast, tell a friend. Tell all of your friends. And please like, rate, and review. Be well, be known.